thanks to RUF that I uh, kind of felt the call to, to ministry. Um, so I have a deep love and appreciation for the ministry and glad that I can uh, be, be serving in it now. And I'm really grateful for all of your prayers uh, for me, as well as, if you didn't know it, your, your church supports uh, the work at University of Connecticut uh, financially. So thank you uh, for your giving that helps make that possible, um, as well as for your prayers. Um, it's good to know that when I walk on campus, I don't walk on campus alone. So thank you for that. Um, uh, I would love to talk more about the ministry if you would like to afterwards as well. Uh, would you pray with me as we enter into a time with the word? Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you that I can be here thanks to your grace and knowing that um, it's not me but you um, that I point toward, to you, to the word. Um, so thank you that I rest on you. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, my words would show you more clearly to your people who you love. Lord, I pray um, that you would use me uh, to further your purposes. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today we will be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, if you're finding that in your Bible, not sure where it is, kind of flip towards the end, you might pass some other names, Matthew, Mark, you hit Acts or Romans or other like place names, you've gone a little too far. Um, so in Luke chapter 5, uh, we've had the birth of Jesus, and Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's done some, but now he's beginning to call people to himself to join him in the work. So read with me uh, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 32, and don't worry, I'm doing sort of a flyover. I won't be diving in incredibly deeply. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, son of Zebedee's, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Rise and walk. But that you, know, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the 1970s, there is a football coach named Bud Grant. He was the coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and he was well-loved by the people that he coached. Almost any player who played for him would say great things about him, not just because they won a lot of games with him, but he was a good person to, to be under, to, to work for. Um, but he was also a little peculiar. He had some very specific thoughts on how uniforms needed to be worn in just the right way or showing up at exactly the right time to practice. Or one time in the playoffs, he decided that heat on the sidelines was a distraction to his players, so he had them remove all the sideline heaters. Again, this is in Minnesota in like January, like negative eight degrees. So he was odd, and some people might think the players might have resented him, but they loved him. They loved to follow him, and they didn't care about those other peculiarities about him because following him was better than all the other things. Many things in our life ask us to follow them, ask us to give everything for the sake of going after them. That might be job, school, family, perhaps a hobby that you particularly love. They ask us to follow them, giving away other things, giving up other things in order to follow after them. Perhaps not in word, but perhaps sometimes in deed. If you're here and a Christian, you might find that you end up following those things, putting those things above Jesus. Jesus here calling disciples is saying everything else falls to the wayside before following me. Yet we here as Christians sometimes forget that call. 
forget that Jesus is the ultimate thing that we follow. Of course, those other things are good, family, work, friends, relationships, hobbies, all wonderful ways to enjoy God's creation, enjoy people, to glorify him, yet they all bend to Jesus. So the question that I believe this text is asking and answering is, why follow Jesus? Is it worth it? Why follow Jesus? For those of you who are here and you would describe yourself as a Christian, this may sound like a purely evangelistic question, and it is, like every question in the Bible is evangelistic, but I hope that through this examination of the person of Jesus that you find Jesus more wonderful and beautiful and that as you enter this new year, you would desire to follow him more, not simply out of an act of dedication and obedience, which is it's right to dedicate and and to do simply because it is right, but that you would desire to follow him because you love him and because he has become more beautiful to you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope that as you hear me walk through examining why follow Jesus, who is this person, that you might think a little bit more about who is Jesus? Why do Christians love him so much? Why why would I ever give my life to a person who lived 2,000 years ago? That it might become just a little bit more apparent why that is the case. So, like I said, our question guiding us through this passage is why follow Jesus? And I'll walk through each of the stories of Jesus that we have here. And I believe that we see we follow Jesus because he reveals and calls to a good purpose. He makes the unclean clean. He has all authority and he heals. So, first, he reveals and calls to a good purpose. And again, there is much that could be said about each one of these individual stories. I'm kind of doing a 10,000-foot view. So if I miss something uh, that uh, you wish I said more about, feel free to come and find me afterwards, and I would love to talk about it. But I promise I'm not intentionally skipping it out of, uh, I don't know, desire to not talk about it. Um, So first, we see that he reveals and calls to a good purpose. We see a number of ways in which Jesus does an act of revealing here in verses 1 through 11, in which Jesus teaches. He reveals to the people. He is doing an act of revealing as he teaches to them. The crowd pressing in on on him to hear the word of God, verse 1. So he goes out and he teaches them from the boat. He's revealing. He's teaching. But this isn't the only act of revealing that Jesus does as he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's generally regarded that this miracle that Jesus does, telling them where to cast their nets, is not Jesus creating the fish and making them to appear, but him miraculously knowing where the fish would be. He's revealing to them. And uh, Peter then responds to the great catch of fish that they have brought in by falling down at Jesus' feet, saying in verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Maybe an odd response to a great catch of fish, but it's because of how Jesus has revealed who he is to Peter. 
Jesus is teaching the people with power and authority. He is doing acts. He's doing miracles previous to this. He he has healed and cast out demons. And now he has done a miracle of revealing to Peter himself all of these things pointing to the fact that Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is doing prophet things. If you walk through the Old Testament, these would all be things that are signs of this person is sent by God. He is a prophet. And what do prophets do in Israel? They bring the word of God to the people and often with it bringing a word of saying, you're falling short, come back to the Lord. Peter, recognizing this in Jesus, his own heart is more revealed to him, recognizing his own sinfulness more and more, seeing how much he falls short of the good call that God puts on his heart. Jesus has revealed himself to Peter, part of who he is, prophet. And in so doing, Peter's own heart is revealed more to him, to himself. But Jesus doesn't leave him there, saying, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. Jesus invites him into the work, not only revealing, but also calling to a good purpose. Calling him into the work that Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't say, that's right, you aren't good enough, now get away from me. He calls him in, invites him deeper into relationship and work with him. We follow Jesus because he reveals and calls to a good purpose. Have you ever experienced something that does both of those things? There's a, uh, well, series of poems in the Canterbury Tales, which is a medieval kind of novel about different people going together on a pilgrimage. And there's one character who they all get different introductions. And there's one character called the Parson who gets his introduction. Um, I'm not going to read all of it, but a a section from it. Because as I read the section about the Parson, who would be kind of a a priest or a pastor um, in that time, um, it reveals to me something of what it means to be a pastor. And as it reveals that, it calls me, it makes me love the work that I do more and calls me into it. So would you hear uh, this from, from a little bit from the Parsons' tale? There is nowhere a better priest I trow. He had no thirst for pomp or reverence, nor made himself a special spiced conscience. But Christ on lore and his apostles twelve, he taught, but first he followed it himself. This little poem reminds me, reveals to me a little bit of what it means to be a pastor. And because it's beautiful and good and I see its goodness, I feel called into the good work. This is a a little example of what Jesus does for us fully, revealing to us and calling us into his good work. And so we follow But you may continue to feel like Peter, understandably so. How am I ever supposed to have access to Jesus? How am I ever ever supposed to get up off my knees and actually go and follow him? Well, we follow because he makes the unclean clean, as we see in verses 12 through uh, 16. 
So again, Jesus is out and a man full of leprosy or, or a skin condition comes to him and begging, will you make me clean? Because if you're unaware, if you had a skin ailment, um, according to the Old Testament law given by God, you could not uh, do certain things. You had to be away from the other people. You couldn't go into the temple and offer sacrifices. So he could not draw near. And you would have to wait until you healed, until the, the skin ailment went away, and then you could offer sacrifices for more ritual cleansing. So priests could be helpful um, in kind of confirming your cleanness, but they couldn't make you clean. But we see Jesus as greater, as better. That as the man asked to be made clean, Jesus says, I will make you clean. And he does. Immediately the leprosy leaves him. This is distinctly different from those other things which ask us, follow me. They say, clean yourself, and then you can come. Jesus is distinct from those things in our, and those other things in our lives which say, follow me, because he does the cleaning. He makes it possible for this man to draw near to God. Now he is clean, and he can come. Again, Jesus is greater than the priest of the time because he not only can confirm that he is now clean, but he creates the cleanness in yourself. And this is the Jesus who we pray to, who we worship. The same Jesus who we come to with our prayers of forgiveness, of, of our confession. The one who says to the leper, be clean. Giving him a gentle touch is the Jesus who you come to as you pray, feeling unclean. Rather than saying, cleanse yourself and then come, Jesus says, I will be clean. And so we follow. We follow because he makes the unclean clean as we recognize our own uncleanness. So we follow because he reveals and gives a good purpose, because he makes the unclean clean. But as I say, we want to follow someone or something. Don't we want those things to have power, authority, influence? We want to follow something that can actually do something in the world, actually have an effect on the world. So does Jesus have authority? Can he do anything? So we follow also because, yes, indeed, he has all authority. So a story uh, in verses 17 through 26 that many of you are likely familiar with, uh, but if not, I'll give a, a quick review summary of it. Um, Jesus, again, is teaching. He's in a home. These friends who want to, who have heard of the miraculous healings of Jesus want to bring their friend close to him, so they open a space in the roof because they are so confident that if we just get him to Jesus, he will be well. So they, they open up the hole in the roof, they lower the man down, and Jesus first says, I will forgive you of your sins, which then causes the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, to wonder, how can he say this? And 
uh, in response, Jesus, I'll just read it. Jesus says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, there Jesus referring to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Indicating that yes, he does indeed have authority to forgive sins. And everyone responds with astonishment and glorifying God. And to, 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 to kind of go back to that question that the Pharisees and the scribes asked after Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, it's a legitimate question. That, that, that really, that's an accurate interpretation of the Old Testament as well as sort of the general uh, sentiment at the, at the time, if you look at writings of the time from, from rabbis or others, that, that's an accurate summary of the view. Only God can forgive sins. And it's an understandable objection or question that they might have in their minds. Even if they maybe perhaps should have recognized earlier, it's understandable that they have that question. And so Jesus, by forgiving sins, by having the man rise, as he says, is saying, yes, I have authority. I am the one who can say you are forgiven. Just as I have authority over the created order to heal this man, I have authority over sin itself, able to forgive sins. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus, because he is God. He has all authority. But that word uh, authority, though perhaps attractive, also comes with a question, a question of, do I want someone to have all of that authority? We both feel attracted to, to someone who has just a little bit of control in a crazy world that feels out of control, but also wary. How will that authority be used? There's a game I, I, I played a lot as a teenager called Diplomacy. Uh, maybe some of you have played it. Uh, it's like Risk, but longer and more complicated. Um, and so you're, it's kind of focused on Europe, you're trying to take over, and you have to make a bunch of allies. It's all about, you know, kind of teaming up with other people and, and things like that. Um, and to kind of cut a long story short, the one, one person and another person made an alliance, and they're just like rolling up the map on everybody else as we're playing. There's like no chance that we can beat them. And they were the ones in control. They were the ones with authority in that, in that moment. And I wanted to be a part of that alliance, but they didn't want me. They just took over me, too. Um, but they had the authority, and I wanted it. I, I wanted to be a part of it, to have the authority and to, to at least be connected to the ones who had authority. Is that the picture of Jesus? That, that he's just rolling across the map. He's got control, and he's just going to bulldoze over anyone in his way so that he can win. No. Look at how Jesus uses his authority. Jesus uses his authority to bring in fish, to clean the one who is outside so that he could be brought near. 
to heal the one who is paralyzed and forgive his sins. This is how Jesus uses his authority. To heal, to feed, to forgive. Yes, he is king over all creation. To him, every knee will bow. Authority. But he is so lovely that he will use his authority to heal and to love and to restore. And he invites in. Don't you want to serve that king? I do. And so we follow him. We follow him because he reveals and calls to a good purpose. He makes the unclean clean and has all authority. But the question of should I follow yet goes deeper in our minds, asking the question, do I really need to? seems like a good person and helpful and nice and it's great that he has authority. Do I really need to follow him? Jesus in this last story affirms yes. Yes you do because Jesus gives healing and we need it. Another well-known story of the calling of Levi Jesus, again, going out, walking by, he sees a tax collector, calls him to follow him. As you may know, tax collectors were uh, sort of, they were wealthy, but socially kind of outcast, lowest of the low, because they were Israel, Israelites who had partnered with the Roman government, the oppressor of the Israel people at the time, um, and... Uh, were, gain, were sort of extracting wealth from their fellow countrymen um, by partnering with Rome. So he calls Levi the tax collector, and he, is, he rejoices. He, uh, verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors. His friends come too and are excited. And we see a contrast, the excitement and the joy of Levi and the other tax collectors with the Pharisees and their scribes grumbling, saying, why do you eat with, and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So we see this contrast. And, and why do we see this, this difference in response? Jesus, uh, answering the question, said, those who are well have no need of a physician. They don't see their need. But those who are sick know that they need a physician. Levi and his friends, the other tax collectors, know their need. They know that they're on the outside, feeling guilty, knowing what they're doing is wrong. But in Jesus, they see someone who, if I just get close to him, maybe... I can be made right. They've almost certainly all heard something about who Jesus is, that if you come to him, you can be healed. If I come to him, I can have forgiveness. So when they're given the opportunity, they leap for it. They run to it, knowing that they need it. But the Pharisees 
and the scribes, the religious elite leaders at the time, they don't see their own need. Their sins of pride, of arrogance, of hard-heartedness are socially acceptable. Their sins that they can cover over so they don't feel their own need for the healing that Jesus offers, the wholeness, the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And so we examine ourselves. Do we see our own need as Levi and the tax collectors see their own need, knowing I hurt others? I fall short of the call that God puts on my life or are you, is your heart, like the Pharisees and the scribes, able to cover over making excuses for ourselves, a socially acceptable sin, so we think, I don't have any need. I don't need Jesus to forgive me and make me whole. But we see that Jesus wants us to be needy like the tax collectors, knowing our need and running to him with joy. And so we think back to that question, why follow Jesus? We follow so many things in our life, sometimes for good reasons, follow uh, a boss and the, and the instructions that they give, or as we seek to uh, be a good parent, following advice from books. But ultimately, all of those things must bow to the person of Jesus. That's a good thing, that because as we put Jesus at the center, he gives assurance and grace, while those other things only give demands. As, as those things dash hopes on the rocks of continued demands, Jesus offers grace and rest, saying, I am the one who has authority that he is the one who is beautiful and good. And so we serve and follow him because he is worthy of us following him, because he is beautiful and good. And I want to read on that idea of because he is worthy. I want to read a, a short section from Revelation chapter 5. As we see this earthly picture of who Jesus is, I want to bring in another way of looking at Jesus here in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 4, and I'm going to skip a little bit just to uh, shorten the, the reading. Um, and I, that is John the writer, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that is Jesus, the root of David has conquered. He has authority so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And skipping down to verse nine, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open it sealed for you were slain, able to forgive sins. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
This is the same Jesus, the one who is worthy to open the scroll, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one to whom angels worship, is the same one who came and instructed Peter to catch the fish, who cleansed the leper with a gentle touch, who heals the paralytic, who calls the tax collectors to himself, saying, I will heal you. And it's the same Jesus that we have today, that we pray to, that we read about, that we sing to. It's the same Jesus. And so we follow. We follow him in truth and in love. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for being who you are and all your goodness and your truth. Lord, I pray um, that we would love you more and more um, as we learn to see you more and more. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.